you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 42 through, through the end of Acts 2. If you're new with us, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and uh, you, you've uh, entered in our very long study of 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and uh, we're in Acts chapter 2. And while you're turning there, uh, again, just as way of, 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 of talking about last week, um, how thankful we are uh, as a leadership team here at the church uh, for the church's response um, just to last week in, in, in our culture forum around the idea of race and gospel reconciliation. And uh, the, the two words that, that I used in the 9 a.m. Were, were the humility and the generosity of this church towards that topic, both in agreement and in disagreement. And so uh, for that, we just say, we say thank you as a leadership team. That is a conversation we feel that has to be had. And, and um we're grateful for this community and uh, this this body of Christ, and um, yeah, we just wanted to, to 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 take time and say that around that that topic for, from last week. And um, I'm excited to get into back into Acts this week, and in, in especially in light of what we just sang. Let me let me read the word of God to us from 42 through 47. It says this: This is the word of the Lord, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, into the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds, to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, keep your Bibles open on your laps as, as we go through this. Um, like, that picture that I just read was a true reality of the, of the early church. How many of you, that, that, that sounds like an amazing picture, right? How many of you, like, you, you read that, you hear that, and you're like, man, that sounds like an incredible, just an incredible story and testimony of, of God working, I want to ask this question, what does it mean for someone or a church to be spirit-filled? Don't answer out loud, but think about it. When you hear the word, the phrase, spirit-filled, what comes to mind? Like truly, like we're singing about here, God filling more of us, like all we want is you, all we need is you, right? Holy Spirit, fill us. What does that look like? What does that translate in a church to be? You ever wonder that? What does that translate in our lives individually to play out like? I know at least maybe how I grew up, some people would ask, okay, is that a spirit-filled church? And they meant something by that, right? Or hey, is, is he or she or they, are they spirit-filled? Or, or to my, 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 my friends on the other side, they go, oh, is that a spirit-filled church? Right? There's kind of a look of angst, right, in their face, right? I could raise the, raise the eyebrow. But what does it mean to be spirit-filled. You think if I, I talk to, to maybe more in the charismatic or Pentecostal circles, when I say, we're going to talk about what it means to be spirit-filled, and, and I say, we're going to go to the book of Acts. They go, yeah, yeah, you are. And I say, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. And they're like, yeah, you are, buddy, right? And then when I say, when I talk about what it means to be spirit-filled, I say, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They go, wait. No, 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 you passed it. It was at the top of Acts 2. It was in 1 through 14, right? Like, go up there, Kyle, because Acts 2, 42 through 47 is about a community-based ministry model, right? 
No! You've missed it. Acts 2, what I just read, 42 through 47, is about the marks of being spirit-filled, both individually and corporately. We're going to see marks of what it means to be spirit-filled, what it means, what's going to flow out of our lives when we get honest before the Lord and we say, listen, fill us. Fill us with your presence. Listen, all I want is you. Listen, God doesn't just empty us so we're empty. God fills us with himself, right? There's something that he fills us with. What is it that he fills us with? Well, I think there are four marks, and we could talk about other ones, and we could uh, maybe take different dimensions on this passage, but I think there are four marks here in this that, that are, again, like what we were just singing about, our lockstep in what it means and what we're asking for God to fill us with here in Acts, 42, in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And the first one is this. And by the way, these marks are universal. These marks are not based on your context. They're not based on your church being in McKinney or being in Dallas or being in Chicago or being in Saudi Arabia or, 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 or the Sudan, right? These are true spirit-filled marks of every believer in every community of, of faith, true community of faith. And the first one, we don't even get out of really the first couple words, uh, is this, devotion. Go back to uh, verse 42 for me, Denise, please. And they, right? What is they? Who are they? Well, if you look, this is coming right off of the heels of verse 41 of chapter 2, where it says that the Lord added to their number 3,000 people. This is the early church. This is the start of the church. The Holy Spirit has come. And now and after Peter's incredible breakdown of the gospel, 3,000 people are saved. So we're talking about 3,120 people. That's who they are. And notice that they are what first? They are devoted. They are devoted. A mark of the Spirit in the life of a church and a believer is that there is a devotion to God. There is a devotion to God. And there's two things that it lists here. Apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Right. So the first part is a devotion to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. In you, in me, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, there is going to be this hunger or desire to know God, to understand more deeply who our God truly is, right? The first thing that the Spirit produced in the life of these early believers was not the charismatic gifts, okay? Hear me. And that's coming from a charismatic, all right? The first thing that freaks some of you out. And by that, I mean that I believe in all the fullness of the gifts they still are for today. All right, the first thing, listen to me, the first thing the Spirit produces is a hunger for more of an understanding of who God is. Do you get this? Like they came and they were sitting under the apostles' teaching and go, listen, we can't get enough of this. We can't get enough of this about who Jesus is. We can't get enough of the Old Testament that is now illuminated to our eyes because we see clearly because of the person and work of Jesus. They're like, listen, feed us. We want more. We hunger. It's like my, my, my little one-year-old child. Not only does he, he want food, he needs food. And when he wants and needs food, guess what he does? He squawks. Literally, he squawks like a bird, all right? And then we feed him and he shuts up, okay? Listen, the Spirit's impulse coursing through our veins as a church, hear me, is that we squawk. We want more. We want to feast more on the Word of God because we want to understand who our God is. We're hungry, we're thirsty for the milk and the meat of the word. Listen, it said here, though, Kyle, it's the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now, hold on here. We don't have any more apostles, capital A apostles, anymore, all right? Like, I don't care what the folks say on TV. There are no such thing as apostles anymore. 
This is someone who witnessed the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and they're testifying to it. You say, well, then what are the teachings we are submitted to? What are the teachings we're hungering and longing for? The apostles' teaching. The New Testament is the recording of the apostles' teaching to be handed down to the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You say, all right. Well, what about our Old Testament, right? And you'll hear people say this, like, listen, let's just unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament, right? We're New Testament Christians, bro. Listen, we understand the Old Testament and the New Testament based upon one another. We understand that they are together, God's story and plan of redemption. It is the full disclosure of God, both the Old Testament and New Testament. Listen, when they are gathering here, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, it includes the Old Testament. It includes what they have learned from Jesus. Listen, for us, what we need is a hunger and a thirst for the word of God, to sit under and to be part of teaching from the word of God, not opinions, not theories, but the word of God. And let me tell you here, at the Parks Church, in many facets and forums, whether it's the women's Bible study or the men's study or here on Sunday morning, listen, what we submit and sit under is the teaching of God's word, is the right division of God's word. Listen, we must be a church, if we're full of the Spirit, who is hungry and thirsty for the things of God from the word of God. We're devoted to that. Are we devoted to that? should be a question. Are you individually? Are we corporately? All right? Second thing is this is that we see generosity. And I want to pull back up verse 42 for us. And it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching we just talked about, and devotion is linked to this, the fellowship. Fellowship now, after the, 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 the apostles' teaching, is what defines the rest of this passage, okay? So it's sitting under the authority of the teaching, under the authority of the scriptures. We now see fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship here is koinonia, right? And, and, and the, the, the main root word in that is koinos. It's where we get our word common, that they held everything in this fellowship. There was a commonality that brought these people together. And if you're not careful, what you'll hear people when they walk through this or maybe read through this passage is that they think what held them together in commonality or sharing were the things that they shared. That's not it, right? It wasn't the bread. It wasn't the resources. Their first commonality or foundation is Jesus. The foundation of their relationship, right, their koinonia, their fellowship, is because of their relationship in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That vertical relationship has to be set first before anything horizontal will ever flow properly from it. So their devotion was first the commonality, shared um, relationship they have with God through Jesus, right? And then you see this radical generosity flow from them. It's when this vertical relationship happens that then you see this absurd, spirit-driven generosity flow. Look at this in verses 44 through 46. This is what it looks like. And all who believed, ready? There's the foundation, right? Believed in Jesus, were together and had all things in common. Everything. Nothing was excluded, right? And it gives some examples. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What? Like this is the picture of the early church. The first 3,000 who gathered who are full of the Spirit. Now Kyle, are you saying that we should sell everything 
and get rid of all the stuff we have and disperse it accordingly. See, I know what you want me to say. <laughs> Kyle, please say no, please say no, please say no. Maybe. How's that for a non-committal answer? It might mean that. It might mean that God calls you to that. It might mean that God in his grace and his mercy knows the best thing for you is that you totally surrender everything, right? Tangibly, in resources, right? Think about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and goes, listen, I've done it all. I've kept the law. I've done this. I've done that. What else do I need to do, Jesus? Tell me. And what does Jesus tell to him, right? He doesn't say, no, 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 you don't have to do all that. Like, you don't have to get rid of everything. Bring everything with you and just follow me. No, he says, sell it all. Get rid of it all. Abandon all your stuff. And then come follow me. And what does it say about the rich young ruler? It says that he left sorrowful. Right? He, he left with his hands full and his heart empty. You see, that's the point. God cares more about the heart. He knew at the heart of that man that he could not fully surrender and love Jesus until he had, he had abandoned everything. Maybe that's Jesus' call to you. Maybe that is what Jesus is calling. I in no way, however, right, to get on the other side of this, do, do I believe that this is the early church or Christian model of socialism or communism where we do sell everything, all of us, and that is the required thing that, that Acts 2, 42 through 47 is talking about? In fact, we see in verse 46 that they gathered in homes. We still see that they had homes. We still see that they had things. And so even as you begin to look at this passage and, and the tense of the verbs, meaning how they gave, it was things that cost them. It were things that they laid down to, to meet a need of their brother or their sister in Christ. It wasn't like, uh, I got three lawnmowers in my garage. I know you need a lawnmower. Come get a lawnmower, right? No, it's like, listen, I realize that meeting your need is going to cost me. But meeting your need, I care more about than keeping this thing that I treasure so highly. I want to meet your need. I want, I, I, want, I want to see that satisfied, and it costs me something. There's this radical, listen to me, there is more likely of a chance of charismatic gifts happening than this kind of radical generosity in our society, right? Like, we don't see this. This is only an impulse of the Spirit in the life of a believer and in the life of the church. Now, I want to push on another area in terms of generosity. Even while I'm talking about it, a lot of you are thinking, okay, give. What do I give? What, what comes from me to meet the other needs? And that, that's half of it. But I want you to see the other part of the equation in verse 47, or excuse me, in verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. How many of you admit that it is actually way more difficult for you to receive generosity than to give something away, even that costs you something, right? It's, it's a difficulty for you to, to, to allow someone else to, to, to be generous toward you. Think about this. Many of you, how many of you opened your home recently or, or, or just your lives just to serve other people, right? Just to say, hey, I just want to love you. I just want to care for you. I want to get to know you. I want to serve you. Right? Many of you have done that. Now, be on the flip side of that. How many of you have walked into other places or other people's homes and you have been the recipient of that? Was that not hard? Like, I think one of the, the things in our culture is that it makes it very difficult for us to receive generosity from other people. 
right, where we feel like we owe somebody something if they do something for us. We don't want to put somebody out. We don't want to be a burden. But listen, what Acts 2 is saying here is that we must allow people to be generous toward us without feeling that we have to return the favor. He's saying they received their food with glad and generous hearts, not going, hey, when am I going to get you back? Like, don't worry, I'll get you, you know, right? That's just us. That's part of generosity is giving but also receiving. This is a mark of the Spirit. Next one. The next mark is worship, if you have that list for me. Worship. A spirit-filled Christ follower is someone whose life is full of worship. And I know that can be a mega broad term, but I want us to see this in, in this passage. Notice it says that they're devoted to the teaching and fellowship, and part of fellowship is worship. The next line after fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's kind of a weird way of saying it, right? Why didn't he just say to the breaking of bread and prayers, right? Because I believe Luke is pointing out something here different. He's not talking about just breaking bread in homes because he says that later. I believe he's talking about here the actual liturgical elements of a, 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 a church gathering like this. He's talking about the Lord's Supper and about corporate or communal prayers. You see, what we see in Acts 2 is this beautiful balance this beautiful balance of worship that is both formal and informal, right? You see that it says that they gathered in temples and in the homes, that this was something that they did at the Lord's t table and something that they did at their tables in their homes. You see, oftentimes in society and throughout history, you will find in the church it pitting formal versus informality, right? Like, we got to be more formal, right? The gatherings, it, it's supreme, it's elevated, and then you'll see a response to that, go, no, it needs to be in homes, just in homes, right? No leadership, no authority, no things like that. Like, no, 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 what you see in Acts, what you see in the early church and throughout history is that it is a balance between formal and informal, right? Gathering like that, but you don't just see informal and formal, you see a balance between joy and reverence, and here's where I want to key in. You see a balance between joy and reverence. It says that they rejoiced in their worship, that they praised God. Listen, and joy is something that is unique to the Christian. Joy is something that, that doesn't mean that we're a bunch of slap-happy people, that we never get sad, that we never feel sorrow. Joy is something that, that is based upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his salvation in our lives, that we're not saved by anything of our doing, but we're saved by his grace and mercy alone. And regardless of our circumstance, we trust that. Regardless of what we go through in life, we are trusting in Christ who saved us. That's where joy comes from. That's the foundation of joy. Paul says it like this in Romans 14, verse 17. Look at this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and what? This is about the kingdom of God. Joy in the Holy Spirit. So the idea is, as we gather, if we are full of the Spirit, if you personally, there's going to be a joy in your life. That as people, as, as they peer into this community, there should be a sense, a deep sense, to which God is overjoyed in our lives, like, and it overflows in our worship, in our attitudes, in our countenance, right? Regardless of what we're walking through tangibly and circumstantially, right? There's a joy. However... There is also an awe, right? And, and, and backing up, John Stott, I, I love him. He, he passed away recently. He says this. He says, it is right in public worship 
to be dignified. But he said, is it unforgivable to be dull? Right? It is right in worship to be dignified. It is absolutely unforgivable to be dull. And I'm going to be honest. Like here at the Parks Church, two things. I think this is one of the most joyous communities I've been a part of and also generous. Back to the last point. That the needs and and the things that we hear about of of just inside this body being met and loving one another, it is incredible. Have we arrived? No way. But I think we do a really good job in those two. I think we do a really good job on the joy side. However, there's another aspect. It's the idea of reverence. It's the idea that, look at it here, it says that they were all in awe, verse 43, and awe came upon how many of them? Every soul. Every soul was struck by the awesomeness, and I use that in a reverent way, the awesomeness of God. Literally, this word awe is translated fear or phobos. It's where we get the word phobia. And it's not a cowering, but it is an understanding of who we're coming before, who we're coming and gathering, and who we're celebrating. We're celebrating the God of the universe, that he is holy and righteous and perfect in every way, right? That there's not this flippant attitude in which we just kind of casually enter in, right? We're just going to come here. We're just going to sing some songs. We're just going to, man, right? Jesus is my homeboy. No, he's not. Nor is he your co-pilot, nor is he anything else you want to do to put him alongside you. He's above all else. He's over all things. And so we must approach God. We must come into a place like this. We must come with a reverent and holy fear of our God. I don't get it. Can I just be like, can I bring this more like here? Like, I don't get it how some of you can go even through our singing worship time, right? Who we're singing to, what we're exclaiming. I'm talking to you, Christian, by the way. Non-Christian, just peer into this rebuke, okay? (laughs) And you're just content to sit there and sip your coffee. I'm serious. Nothing else. I just... Listen, I'm all for coffee. Drink it up during my teaching, by the way. You need the caffeine, okay? Like, I'm all for it. But listen, there is something there that just screams, I don't actually understand who I'm talking to. I don't actually understand who I'm approaching. And by the way, I'm not just knocking on you if you're drinking your coffee, right? Others of you, don't have, you don't have a coffee cup in your hand, but you're hiding behind something else, right? And not singing and not coming reverent before God. Maybe it's just like, hey, man, I don't sing. I, I don't either. I'm tone deaf, all right? You just heard that, okay? Like, that is not reason enough for us to hide behind those things and not approach our God who invites us through Christ to sing to him, to rejoice, to remind our hearts of who he truly is. But he wants us to do that with the right attitude, with joy and with reverence. And listen, here's the beauty of this spirit-filled community. Check this out. The end of the passage, verse 47. They were praising God, worshiping him, sharing all their things. And here's what happened. They were having favor with all the people. I mean, how beautiful is that? Like when truly a community is spirit-filled, when a church is full of the spirit, when, when a believer is full of the spirit of God, that there is favor with all people. And that means outsiders. That means people who aren't in the faith, right? They peer in and they go, man, I don't know if I agree with everything. I don't, I don't know that I believe what they believe, but there's a joy there. There's a conviction and an honesty there that I respect. It says that they found favor with all people. And then 
the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who added? The Lord added. Not some church model, not some church philosophy, not some charismatic speaker, not some level of teaching or worship music, but the Lord added to their day, their number daily. Listen, that is what happens in a spirit-filled community that people are being truly transformed and saved by the power of Jesus Christ alone. Jonah put it like this, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not something we can manufacture. It's not something that we can do or conjure up. No, it belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And in a spirit-filled community, that will be happening. And what's interesting about this is it says, to their number in verse 47. Do you have that? To their number right here. That is the same word that's used in verse 44. Go back to verse 44. For together. Those who believed, together. Here's what Luke is saying, is that when someone comes to faith, when a brother and sister comes to Christ, they are not put on an island, they are brought into a family. This is a picture of the church. This is what it looks like to be a spirit-filled community. It's a group of people who stop treating church like a commodity and treat it as what it is, a community of people under the authority of Scripture ingrained into the life of one another. Church is not a product you consume. It's not. It is a family that you and I participate in because of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. And I plead with you, if it's not the Parks Church, find that family and get plugged in. Find a place where they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and get plugged into it. Listen, are we a spirit-filled church? I'll let you decide that. But I want to ask you, are you a spirit-filled Christian? Are these things true in your life of devotion, of worship, generosity, your life is lived not for yourself but on mission for the glory of God and the good of other people. And that's what it looks like. These are the marks of the Spirit's filling. I want to end with a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book I'm going back through called Life Together. He says this. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. Think about that. The person who loves their preference of community, their preference of fellowship, their preference of church, their definition will actually destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. These things will happen when we love Jesus and love those around us. Bonhoeffer is saying that community is an outcome. It's an outcome an outcome of being full of the Spirit, loving those around you, being in proximity to people, in submission to the Word of God. That's community. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your Word. Your Word that changes us by the power of your Spirit. God, all of the things that we confessed in our singing and worship time, 
lead to a desperation that only you can fill. So God, what we're asking is the same thing they asked repeatedly in the book of Acts. For your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to fill us anew today. That you would fill us again tomorrow. For God, when I am not full of your spirit, I'm full of the things of my flesh, the things of this world and culture. So Lord, may, may we be a community of faith, full of your spirit, emptying ourselves so that we might be full of you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you might continue to move mightily in our midst. That these marks might not just be dim here in our church, but they might shine brightly. That there would be a reverence and an awe and a joy and a generosity and a devotion. And God, we know that you work in those to draw people, men and women, to you. God, I long for more people to come into a relationship with you, to be invited into this family. God, we are an imperfect church, but you, oh Jesus, are a perfect savior that we submit to. And so teach us and shape us and show us. God, I pray as we walk from here and we go to school or work or home, wherever we go tomorrow, that we might love those you've placed around us with a radical generosity that we might look around even as we lift our heads from prayer and see that you've placed us in this faith family and we might love one another with that kind of brotherly and sisterly love. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing. God, continue to help us get out of the way so that you can move. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen and amen.